Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 105, and today's guest is Zach Normanden, founder and CEO of Iris Nova. Zach is a serial entrepreneur with a deep background in building successful consumer products. It was his first company, Little Duck Organics, that taught him about the CPG industry and how the whole ecosystem works. This organic snacks and cereal company was a success as its products were distributed to over 10,000 stores worldwide, including major retailers like Whole Foods, Target, and others. But this time around, his new company is selling direct to consumers, and they are disrupting a $1 trillion market. The company is called Iris Nova, and they are building out a platform to launch new brands. However, it is the technological innovations that are core to its strategy and their ability to differentiate themselves in a very crowded market. For example, its first brand is Dirty Lemon, a high-end beverage line that is the first to be sold via text message in a method that they're calling conversational commerce. Its next offering is called The Drugstore, which is a conceptual retail experience where customers pay for drinks on an honor system. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Zach's background in the Coast Guard and what that taught him about entrepreneurship, the background story on Little Duck Organics and how he navigated through the ecosystem and ultimately land distribution at Whole Foods, the details on Iris Nova, Dirty Lemon, and the drugstore, and how they are disrupting the beverage industry and changing consumer buying habits through technology, why Coca-Cola's venturing and emerging brands unit invested in the company, plus other VC firms and notable names like Tim Armstrong, Gary Vaynerchuk, Kate Hudson, Alex Rodriguez, and others, advice for entrepreneurs looking to start a food or beverage company, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that we've published over 30 interviews with leading entrepreneurs and investors across New York Tech? Thank you so much for listening. We have many, many other episodes coming soon. But if you think there's someone that we should be interviewing, we are always open to suggestions. Just send them along to info at venturefizz.com. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Zach. Zach, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Zach, I uh, was obviously doing a lot of work as far as uh, researching your background and all the great things you've been doing as an entrepreneur. But one thing that struck me when I was reviewing your LinkedIn profile was uh, your time in the Coast Guard. So it says supported counter narcotic and human trafficking operations uh, and some impressive work there. So, so I was just curious to hear more about your experience in the Coast Guard and what do you think that taught you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, good question. Um, so I, I joined the Coast Guard right out of high school. And, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do after after high school. I, um, I always thought I wanted to be an architect. And then, um, you know, I knew a guy in uh, that went to, to my high school who ended up becoming a rescue swimmer um, up in Alaska. And I thought that that was really cool. I always grew up around the ocean. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I, re- I visited a recruiter uh, near my hometown, um, spent, you know, a, a few days kind of, uh, learning about the Coast Guard. I didn't know much about it before I joined, um, ended up visiting, uh, a couple stations where, you know, I saw the work that the Coast Guard was doing and yeah, I decided to join definitely a life-changing experience. I, I was, uh, 18 years old, just graduated from high school and I was very quickly immersed into a world that was very different than what I grew up in. Um, so I spent a year uh, in Newport, Rhode Island, which was 
probably the, the most rewarding work that I've done and the most challenging. We were on a buoy tender, which is uh, a boat that basically is responsible for breaking ice in the winter time, but then also moving buoys uh, into their proper locations to allow for sea traffic to basically navigate um, in the winter time. So, um, you know, buoys move around uh, in the winter when harbors freeze. So the ice actually picks them up and it moves them to different locations. And um, for a lot of uh, freight ships that are coming in and out of harbors or canals, you know, there's um, that presents challenges because then they don't have um, they don't have accurate uh, points of, of navigation to basically steer their ships. So I did that for a year, extremely challenging, extremely rewarding, um, just physically. I mean, we were we were out long days. It was extremely cold um, and just had had a lot of fun. And then um, I went to school for engineering in the Coast Guard. Um, so I trained as a marine engineer. And then I joined a boarding team in Mississippi, of all places. Um, so I was on a ship in Mississippi. And then our job was to go down to Central and South America and basically patrol the waters down there looking for um, either migrant, uh, migrant activity. So this was... Um, you know, citizens of other countries that were trying to come up to the to the U.S. through the international waterways, or we were looking for drugs, and um, so we would board a lot of a lot of boats, and you know, we were looking for um, you know a, a number of different types of drugs that people were trying to traffic to the states, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. And you know, the, the I think you know, just generally speaking, what it taught me was. Um, was, you know, how to adapt to uh, very uncomfortable conditions or environments. Um, not only with, you know, I was, I was living on a ship for two or three months at a time. So I was very crammed with, you know, about a hundred other guys on a ship. We were, you know, there was probably 20 or 30 of us living in like the engineers, we called them birthing areas. Um, but basically, you know, we, we had three high bunk beds on a ship um, we would, you know, uh, we'd be sleeping mostly during the day and then at nighttime we would do all of our patrols. Um, but it, so it taught me how to like, you know, live in uncomfortable situations. And then I was really just opened up to this world of, um, of, uh, you know, basically just kind of seeing the world in a much, in a much, uh, different way than I had seen it. I grew up in Massachusetts and, um, I was in, you know, I lived in a very rural blue, blue collar town and, um, and then I, you know, I was very quickly exposed to this world of people who, um, who, you know, were trying, um, you know, to, to come to the United States. Um, and it was just very eye opening. I mean, I, I think I, more than anything, I quickly realized how lucky we are as Americans to have the freedom and choice to, you know, basically do whatever we want on a day to day basis. And, you know, I saw families and um, you know, a lot of people basically spending their whole lives saving, you know, you know, any, any sum of money they could to try to, you know, basically buy a ticket to, to come to the States. And, um, I don't know, it just changed my, it changed my perspective of, of life and of, of the world. And, um, yeah, so I did that for four years and then I got out in, uh, 2006 and then, then I started my, 
entrepreneurial journey, which was just as, just as enlightening, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. I mean, amazing experience. I just saw that. Like, wow, what, what a great foundation. Uh, and I'm sure that could be a whole separate podcast of some of the really you know, cool stories that resulted from that experience. But um, you know, I guess to stem off of what you just said, uh, entrepreneurship is uh, core to what you are all about. So how did that lead you down the path of you know, starting an organic food company? So 2006, I got out of the Coast Guard. I, um, I had this degree in, in engineering and I ended up working as an industrial designer um, for a company in New Hampshire that made test equipment for airplanes. I had never worked in industrial design before, but I taught myself SolidWorks, which is a engineering program that's used to design pretty much everything. Um, and I taught myself how to use that program and I started doing work for this company. And it was extremely interesting work uh, in that it built the framework for what I ended up you know, doing uh, with uh, the majority of my professional career beyond that point. Um, and a lot of that work was in, you know, building bill of materials and um, basically assembling a product from concept through to actually having the physical product in your hands. Um, so, you know, at the time I was designing sheet metal assemblies and, um, you know, we were designing, uh, you know, manifolds and all these different, you know, mechanical assemblies for a piece of test equipment. Um, so it was my responsibility to not only design, but also to, you know, count the individual number of screws that were, you know, to be placed in this unit and then build the whole thing. And, um, it was really, really interesting, but to make some extra money. So I, I have, a I have three children now, but at the time I had two daughters and they were, they were just babies at the time. And, um, you know, to make some extra money on the side, I ended up joining a chamber of commerce, which seems like such an antiquated um, concept now, but I joined my local chamber of commerce and um, I don't know if you remember chamber of commerces, but they, you know, they oh, have sure. like a, week, a weekly breakfast and they still exist. You know, so the, the whole idea is to, you know, to basically bring, you know, local business owners together. So I started a small consulting company and, you know, my, um, my trade or what I was selling was basically the ability to, uh, to create products. And um, I ended up picking up some work for a food company, a woman that sold cookies to Whole Foods nationally. And she wanted to change the size of her cookie box. So I kind of fell into this work with her. And it was the first time I really, it opened my eyes to this world of not only creating, um, you know, a product, but creating a product that could be replicated, you know, up to millions of millions and millions of times. And that was really, really interesting to me. So, you know, the work that I was doing in my small town in New Hampshire, um, you know, if I traveled to California or to, you know, Seattle or, you know, Texas or wherever, you know, the products that I was creating were, you know, you know, I could see the work that I had done on, on store shelves across the country. And um, so I did that, that project and I, and I ended up picking up a bunch of other work for other food companies but through the process, I had thought to myself, oh, wow, this is a lot of fun. You know, maybe I'll create a brand of my own. And so this was 2008, a couple of years after I got out of the Coast Guard. And I, you know, I, like I said, I had young children and I was shopping in, um, I was shopping in the, in the food aisle for, for my children at the grocery store quite often. 
And I was just really um, kind of taken by the lack of, of products on the store shelves that spoke to me as a young dad. So I was, you know, seeing brands like Gerber and Earth's Best, you know, brands I had been on the, on the market for a really long time. And, um, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, I, you know, I'd love to create a brand that's a little bit more in line with, you know, you know, the aesthetic and the, the, you know, the, the types of products I would want to be buying for my kids. Um, so one product that was really popular and still is with kids is freeze dried fruit. And the great thing about freeze dried fruit is, um, you know, basically it's a, a process freeze drying that removes all of the, the moisture out of a, a piece of a fruit or a vegetable. Um, and then when you put it in your mouth, it basically re reconstitutes itself. And, um, and then, you, you know, you basically get this, you know, essentially a fresh piece of fruit, um, you know, that, you know, that's great for, for early, uh, early feeders. And so I, I started researching, uh, you know, creating, um, creating a, a brand and, and sourcing ingredients very much in the same way as I did when I was working in industrial design. And uh, I did that uh, through 2008. And then I ended up launching uh, my first brand, Little Duck Organics, in, uh, in, at the end of 2008. Um, and then launched it to market. And yeah, and that was really kind of the start of, of my world of, of building products in the food space. And yeah, and then fast forward to now, and we've, I've done this many, many times. Um, yeah, it's been a, it was a very interesting time in 2008 because much, it was much, much different than it is now in, in the food space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot more crowded now. But, uh, but even then, when you were in New Hampshire, like, it's not like you had launched you know, a consumer product, like the you know, manufacturing, distribution. You know, eventually, you got into Whole Foods. So, so how did you figure all that out? So I started selling my product to, you know, I didn't know how to get into grocery stores. Um, I created, um, there's so many stories I could pick apart from just that experience, but the most notable of them is, you know, I knew that I had to get product into the buyers or to grocery stores. So I created basically a little kit that had samples of all of our products and I put it in the mail to, I believe it was a couple hundred um, grocery stores in the Northeast. And my thought process was, well, if I send it out to, you know, all these grocery stores, that at least some of them are going to get back to me and they're going to want to place orders for the product. I had no idea how distribution worked or how, you know, how any of this stuff happened. And I sent out all of these packages and I heard nothing for months. <laughs> oh my God. And, um, you know, little did I know that, you know, these buyers get tons of packages all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was in Florida at a wedding and I got a phone call from a grocery store in New Hampshire, um, Philbrick's Fresh Market. I remember it very well. And I remember being on the phone in the parking lot at this wedding. And the woman said, is this Little Duck Organics? And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> it, it was my personal cell phone. Right. And she said, um, well, I'd like to place an order for your products. And I very quickly grabbed a pen and I you know, scribbled down her information. And... Um, you know, it was probably a few weeks after that, that we ended up fulfilling the order for her. And that was our first account. And, you know, I, I, you know, very slowly built a, a network of different buyers and grocery stores. And, you know, I real I learned the industry and um, I ended up getting um, connected, you know, speaking to Whole Foods specifically, very shortly after that, a friend of mine introduced me to a broker 
And I remember one snowy night, I drove up to Durham, New Hampshire. I met this guy at a pizza parlor and um, he said, well, let me see your product. And I showed it to him and he said, well, I think I can get you into Whole Foods. And I said, great. And he said, I meet with the Whole Foods buyer every month. And um, what's funny about this is like, you know, I've come to know all of these different people in much different ways now, but um, he said, you know, I, I meet with the Whole Foods buyer uh, on a monthly basis. And he said, I, I just happen to be meeting with her next week. And if you like, I'll present it to her. And, you know, if she likes it, then we can probably, you know, then they'll take you in. And so that's what we ended up doing. And I said, well, how much, you know, how does it work? Like, how, how much is it going to cost me? And he said, um, how about this? If I get you, if I get you in and she gives you a, a yes, then how about you give me 500 bucks? $500. And I said, <laughs> and I, said I said, sure, that's fine. And $500 is a lot for me at the time. I mean, I really... Um, I remember specifically thinking, wow, this is like, you know, I, I was picking a lot of expenses up very quickly. And, um, and this was kind of, you know, I, I had no understanding of, of the cost structure of, of this type of business as it, as it scaled. Anyway, so basically, long story short, you know, he, she ends up accepting the product. I end up getting into Whole Foods. And then very quickly after that, we ended up expanding nationally in Whole Foods. And um, through the years, we ended up getting into Target and uh, Costco and all the big national retailers. Um, but yeah, I sold that company in 2013 and, um, and now, uh, and then I started another agency and I realized very quickly after that, that my, my heart was in branding and I love creating consumer products. I have a little bit more control over. Um, and then started, uh, dirty lemon, which is the first Iris Nova brand I started in, in 2015. So, so Iris Nova, it, so it sounds like this came from uh, your experience with Little Duck Organics of learning how the ecosystem works of the brokers, the, the retail, the distribution, where you know, now you're building direct to consumer with this platform, Iris Nova, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, one of my biggest frustrations um, in building Little Duck was, was this process of having to present a product to a buyer and then have, wait for the buyer. And, you know, it was just this constant kind of hoping and praying for the approval that we needed to get the product in broader distribution. And we were really good at this. Um, you know, we had a process, you know, in place, I had a really good sales team and we, you know, we ended up, you know, doing well with this, but one of my biggest, one of my biggest challenges was always um, in that we were really not selling to consumers at all. We were selling actually to, um, to buyers and the buyers would put the product into distribution and then the, distributors would would sell the product to stores and the stores were really selling the product to consumers. So we really didn't have a lot of control over the, the customer experience. And um, because, you know, there was no telling if the product was going to be restocked properly or on the bottom shelf or on the top shelf or, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's all these different variables. It's like you're the end in, cap thing, right? Everyone competes for the end caps. and Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's so many different nuances to selling into retail stores and, um, you know, and that was just always very challenging to me. And, you know, it was in 2013, I remember starting to see a lot of these direct consumer uh, brands popping up in other adjacent categories. So you had, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Warby Parker and, um, you know, all these different brands. And, you know, I just thought it would be really, it would be really cool to do that same thing in the, in the food and beverage space. Um, so beverage was always fascinating to me. I, um, I remember, uh, 
being in high school and first hearing about vitamin water. And I remember a friend of mine told a friend of mine, his dad um, ran a camp in the Northeast and yeah, they did like all kinds of cool stuff. It was like wakeboarding and you know, all this, uh, it was like a, an adventure camp type of thing. And I remember that vitamin water was dropping off product to this camp so they could get it into the hands of these kids. And they were all like professional, you know, they ended up becoming professional athletes. And it was just, it, I, that was my first touch point with vitamin water. And I remember specifically going to the store and wanting to find an orange vitamin water. And because I, I don't know why the orange was appealing to me. And I, you know, it, when you think about all of the beverages that are on the market, and I, I thought about this a lot and from really 2013 to 15 when we launched Dirty Lemon, um, you know, all of the beverages that are available to consumers really speak to different consumer groups. So you look at like the energy drinks, well, the, you know, the person who's drinking Monster Energy um, every day is probably not the person that's drinking uh, Evian water. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, you know, the person that goes to Dunkin' Donuts every morning to buy their coffee, they probably would never think to go to a small craft coffee shop um, mm -hmm. or, you know, look at a bar, you know, when you order a drink at a bar, you know, the person who's drinking, uh, you know, uh, a specific spirit, you know, is, is, you know, use vodka, for example, or, you know, maybe not even vodka, I use whiskey. Someone who's, who's ordering a single malt scotch, is probably not the you know uh, Jack Daniels drinker, right. and you know all of these things. You know, at the end of the day, when you peel back the labels on different products, you know what's inside the bottle, the liquid, is really commodity. It's the brand that that really sets these products apart. Um, so I thought beverage was a really interesting way to go into this world of direct consumer because I knew we could create a lifestyle and an aesthetic around the brand, and and present that to consumers in the digital space. Um, and really sell them on the brand before they order the product. And that's what we did. So we launched uh, Dirty Lemon, our first brand on Instagram in 2015. And we were really one of the first brands to kind of create this whole lifestyle and this really fantastical kind of um, view into, uh, into a product, but have it not only exist in, pro in photos of the product, but really, you know, we were looking far beyond that and we were, you know, talking or we were um you know we were uh you know showing photos of things that we felt were activities that we felt were aligned with with our audience so you know for us it's you know food working out um you know having fun with friends going out you know it's just general like fun but really catered to the modern consumer with a product that spoke to them and um, you know, we launched our first product, which is a charcoal based functional beverage. Um, and then we really quickly saw success with that. Um, and we, we've subsequently launched, um, about a dozen beverages since, uh, since that first launch. But, um, but yeah, that was the, that was really the kind of the thesis around the brand was let's sell a brand, let's sell a, a brand of beverage products direct to consumer. Um, and let's really build this, uh, aspirational, relatable, a lifestyle brand in the digital space um, to really drive traffic to the products. But let's not, you know, more importantly, let's not sell into grocery stores um, because we wanted to have that, that one-on-one -on -one connection with consumers. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but the, you know, the way that we were able to really capitalize on that was through a technology platform that we developed, 
which allows customers to place orders for our products over text message. Um, so the, you know, the, you know, we knew that driving people to buy the first, um, the first case may be easy over e-commerce, but we needed a really easy way for them to reorder our products. Um, and I thought that text message would be a great way to do that. So the, I, the, the vision was always, you know, when you're on your last bottle of dirty lemon, you know, we wanted you to pick up your phone, send a text message to us and say, I want some more dirty lemon, send me another case. And then for you to be able to have to get that product very quickly. Um, so that was the vision early on. And we started selling the product like that when we first launched in 2015. Did you get any pushback, whether it was, um, you know, advisors telling you that's crazy what you text people aren't going to buy product over text or uh you know changing you know buying behaviors of consumers was there any challenges there yeah i mean definitely and i think that there's still you know i i, I mean it, things have changed dramatically over the last few years but right. um but yeah i think you know in general there 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 was uh you know a bit of hesitation with uh with um you know, some people in the industry, I remember um, speaking to a, an investor very early on in San Francisco and, um, and the investor had said, well, I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't understand how you think you're going to be able to build a sizable company when you're only able to sell through text message. And I mean, I had a lot of very long conversations with investors and advisors and people that I had, I had, I had worked with in the past about how we believe that this was really the future of, of, of uh, transactions and commerce is this idea of connecting one-on-one -on -one with your consumer. Um, and obviously fast forward, I mean, we've been very successful with the Dirty Lemon brand and now we're taking everything that we learned with Dirty Lemon and we're applying it to additional brands underneath the Iris Nova platform. And we have uh, incredible, uh, you know, partners in that like Coca-Cola and, you know, really probably one of the, the most impressive rosters of investors in consumer products right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been successful, but there was definitely hesitation. And, um, I think that, you know, the, the real sticking point is when consumers experience this way of purchasing a product, there really is a, um, you, you know, it's, it's really eye opening. I mean, having, to, not having to log in to a, a website or download an application, um, and just being able to send a text message and know that your information and your data is secure that, you know, you don't have to worry about, um, uh, you know, all you have to worry about is basically, uh, you know, receiving the product. Um, cause that's what consumers want. You know, they want, they want fast access, easy access to the products that they, that they want to spend their dollars on. Um, and they want it delivered to them. They want it to be convenient. And, um, and that's what we've enabled through, uh, the Iris Nova tech platform. Well, so, well, someone needs to make that bold decision that this is where commerce is going and actually fall through on it and hope that it's the right timing that consumers are going to adopt it. And there's going to be a point in time where people are like, what you just said, like, remember when we used to have to like log in and like put in our account, like, like so much friction right. of getting an order versus like you said, send a text. And you now how did you build out the platform where the delivery is so quick too? It's, you know, so people don't want to sit there and wait for their next order. And, but you figured that out too. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we knew that, um, you know, speed was, was really a, a critical piece of this, um, of the model. Um, so for the first couple of years, we actually subsidized a lot of the, a lot of the shipping costs. So we always wanted to get, um, we always wanted to get the product to consumers in two days. Um, and now this year we're actually pushing for same day deliveries. 
so we're increasing that speed, um, you know, every, every day or, you know, with every month that passes. Um, but yeah, for the first couple of years, we were subsidizing the cost of shipping. Basically we were paying for, um, you know, essentially overnight or two day delivery, uh, for, for customers just so that they receive the product fast. And, um, you know, it's an iterative process there, you know, this is not, um, you know, I think one thing that's really interesting and probably the biggest takeaway over the last few years for me is that the market is just moving so dramatically fast and, um, you know, consumers, you know, their expectations are changing every day. And, um, when you look at, you know, I look at my children now, so I have a 13 year old, a 10 year old and an eight year old, and they are, you know, they, they, they are expecting at their young ages food to be delivered to them. You know, we, in New York city, we use, you know, Amazon, uh, prime now, and we use, you know, fresh direct and, you know, and, uh, Instacart and all these things. And, you know, they know when they want to go grocery shopping, they pick up a phone and they, and they fill up a cart and they have it delivered in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the cut, that's the type of speed that consumers are coming to expect. And, you know, we want to match that and actually over exceed the expectation of consumers. And, um, I don't think grocery stores are, are going away anytime soon, mm-hmm. but they're, uh, you know, the, the way that consumers interact with those channels of distribution is, is definitely changing. Now you talked a little bit earlier of how, you know, you created this lifestyle brand when it came to acquiring consumers. Um, and maybe this was, you know, prime time for Instagram where now like, you know, I don't know if you want to say the, you know, the, that has passed, right? There's so much noise on Instagram now. So, so how are you going about you know, just evolving your, the channel of how you're engaging with consumers and acquiring them? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. This has been top of mind for us over the last few weeks, but you know, where, you know, we excelled, I think early on on Instagram with, you know, really aspirational still photos of, of consumers, um, you know, that we're enjoying our products and, um, you know, and then other lifestyle based content that kind of spoke to the, the brand, um, you know, we're now focused on, um, really transitioning from, um, you know, that type of content to more immersive experiential, you know, really rich media that, um, that consumers can engage with. And, you know, one big inspiration for me is my children. I, you know, I see, you know, the content that's being put on platforms like TikTok and Snapchat and, you know, these channels are, you know, when you, when you spend an hour on TikTok and then go back to Instagram and you're going to feel like Instagram is really boring. Mm, and, okay. you know, that, that um, is just a cue for, for us to really push, um, you know, push beyond what we've been doing and really start to think critically about what, you know, the future holds for the brand. And that's not only the Dirty Lemon brand, but also, you know, any, any other brands that we create or invest in, um, you know, through the Iris Nova platform, I think we need to be really thoughtful about, you know, any, you know, new marketing channels that we can be engaging with consumers through. And, um, you know, that's really the name of the game is, you know, a lot of, for, for many years, you know, hundred, a hundred years now, almost, um, you know, consumers, uh, found products through, through grocery stores and through retail channels. Um, but really, you know, it's changing dramatically now and consumers are starting to find out about, about products through other, other means. And, um, you know, we need to be really thoughtful about, you know, how we're, how we're advertising through those channels. Now, Iris Nova, the, the, the next concept that you've launched is drugstore, which is a move to, to retail. 
And again, you're disrupting the retail experience with a grab and go cooler honor system. So you're not checking out. It's, you know, like, is it Amazon go that's doing the, you know, non checkout, you just walk out with your goods, but you don't even have that, right? Like it's, this is a, you know, it's a pure honor system. Yeah. So we, you know, we developed the drugstore as a way for us to merchandise our products in physical locations. Um, we knew that, that the drugstore, or we knew that, you know, direct consumer was a successful channel for us, but we really needed, an, you know, a, you know, we needed a place for people, for customers of ours that were, um, that were, uh, you know, already customers um, to, you know, for consumers of ours that were already customers to be, uh, to be able to grab a bottle on the go. Um, you know, obviously having your fridge full of our product at home is great, but if you're on the go and you're heading to work and you forgot to grab a bottle or you're on your way home from the office and you, um, you know, and you, and you want to grab a, a, a nice beverage, um, you know, you know, there's those access points aren't there for consumers a lot of the time. So, um, so we developed our first drugstore in Tribeca, um, which we have a heavy concentration of, of consumers in the Tribeca uh, neighborhood in New York city. And um, we developed the drugstore there really as a place to both merchandise our products and, and offer a convenience to our consumers. Um, and we saw great success there and we set, we opened a second location and we'll be op opening locations in other places. But the way that it works is, you know, Consumers come in, they um, they grab a bottle of any of our products from the cooler. Um, it's a very small footprint, about 100 square feet. And um, then they just text us and they tell us what they took. So we are using RFID and, you know, cameras and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, it's entirely on the honor system. Um, consumers, like I said, can grab whatever they want. They text us, they tell us what they took. And then if they're current customers, we just charge their account on file. And if they're not consumers of the brand or, or customers rather, um, then we send them a link to check out on their phone. So really the checkout process all happens at the, you know, uh, at the convenience of the consumer. Um, and, you know, we, we look at it as an extension of our direct consumer offering and in a way to, um, you know, to continue to offer, um, you know, our customers uh, an elevated experience beyond what they would, they would find at a grocery store. Because in a lot of people question, you know, well, don't you have a lot of theft? And, um, you know, the, our theft is actually under 5% for uh, at the drugstore. So we have a very, very low theft. The majority of the bottles that, that are uh, going into, uh, going, coming out of the fridge are paid for right there. Um, I would say the, the, the bottles that are leaving the space that aren't paid for, it, it's probably due to confusion on the consumer's part. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, it's obviously a new consumer behavior, just taking something and, and basically having, having to pay for it on your own, uh, on your own accord. Um, but yeah, that's the, you know, that, that's the concept that we, that we developed for retail. And, you know, it, it, it's a space that allows us to showcase our products in a, in a really elevated way in the way that we want to show them to consumers. And, um, that's something that, you know, obviously we wouldn't be able to do if we were selling in, you know, in traditional grocery stores. Now you talked about the funding for your company. Uh, so you closed 15 million in funding towards the end of last year from, you know, uh, Coca-Cola as an investor where you would think they are a competitor. Uh, Winklevoss Capital, GGV, plus lots of notable names like uh, Tim Armstrong, Gary Vaynerchuk, Kate Hudson, Alex Rodriguez, Scooter Braun. So how did you get such a collection of investors? 
Um, I think it was a lot of personal network. I mean, we, you know, you know, the, uh, I think the, you know, probably the most, uh, I would say compelling thing of, of, of what we built is that the vision is very, very big. Um, you know, we truly have the intention of challenging Coca-Cola. Um, it's, you know, uh, I look at their, their investment in us as both a, um, a way for us to learn from them and really kind of take an inside look at the legacy and the, and the, you know, infrastructure that they've built over the last hundred plus years. Um, but also it's, you know, for them, I think a way to kind of understand better what, you know, uh, what, what's happening, you know, in the space that's obviously more progressive than, you know, the, the model that they've used, uh, historically, um, so yeah, I think like, you know, when you have that vision and, you know, we truly want to replicate what Coca-Cola has built globally and do it entirely direct to consumer um, with a much different, um, you know, focus put on on the consumer and using technology and data to drive um, a more elevated experience with consumers. So, you know, when you have that, um, that vision, um, you know, there's you know, it's, it's easy to get um, to get people interested in that. And um, we've been extremely fortunate to have an incredible group of investors around the company. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of that just has to do with, you know, we're not just building a brand, we're building a platform to create brands and distribute them to consumers, um, much in the way that, that Coca-Cola and Pepsi have. So, um, and when you look at the size of the industry, I mean, beverage, non-alcoholic beverages globally, it's a $2 trillion industry projected to be. And um, there really has been no innovation by mean by way of technology, um, you know, since the industry was established um, in the states. And um, you know, I think that that that's all going to change very quickly here. So now there seems to be a uh, you know a lot of activity of you know food startups, food or beverage startups. So uh, it's becoming a more crowded space. So what, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking to launch a food or beverage company? The, well, the, it's, it is definitely, there's a lot of brands out there right now. Um, I would challenge any beverage entrepreneur to really think outside the box and, you know, not just focus on building a brand, but really, um, you know, focus on, I don't know. I mean, just taking a step back from that thought, you know, we're operating under the thesis that billion dollar brands won't exist in the future. So I don't think that a Coca-Cola or a Nike or a, um, you know, pick one of these massive, you know, CPG conglomerates. I don't think that they are going to exist in the way that we know them now in the future. I think the market, you know, in every industry is going to be extremely fragmented. Um, so you look at the hundreds of beverage brands that are on the market right now. Um, I think that they'll all have interesting or not all of them, but, I think, you know, some of them will be interesting businesses. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that there needs to be a different expectation when it comes to building, uh, building a brand. And, you know, that's why we focused on obviously building Dirty Lemon, but our overt focus has been on building technology that supports the distribution of beverages um, and doing that without distribution or or brokerage or retail and really having control over the way that we sell our products to consumers. So um, obviously that's a differentiator and something that, that makes us unique in the, in the market. But um, 
yeah, for brands specifically, I think, you know, I mean, my advice would probably be build as fast as you can and get out quickly, um, which sounds, you know, counterintuitive because a lot of people are trying to, you know, to build massive, massive companies. But I just don't know if that exists because consumers have too many, they have too many choices now. There's, there's so much selection and, um, yeah. And it's really hard to, it's really hard to grow, um, to a national scale when you have hundreds of competitors. Um, it's so much different now than it was in 2015 when we first launched Dirty Lemon. And then even when I launched my first food brand in 2008, um, I mean, it is by far more cluttered now than it, it ever has been. And I think that that's going to continue. Um, so that naturally makes it very challenging. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't, honestly, I think, you know, if we were starting from ground zero right now, our strategy be, would be very, very different than it was and very um, probably very different than it is right now. Even um, we would think very, very uh, different about, about the market than, than we are. Um, and the only reason why I say that is because we have a bit of a head start because we've been building um, this infrastructure for, you know, for four years now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I would just be, you know, I spend the majority of my time just thinking and observing and really just trying to understand better how, consumers interact with brands. And I think when you really look at that for what it is, um, you realize that you need to, you know, be really, really start and st smart and strategic and not necessarily follow a playbook to build, to build a brand in the current market. The other thing I, you know, it seems like every product you've launched is always had uh, like, did you always have like a good aesthetic towards design? Like the, the packaging is always, you know, the, the, you know, little duck, you know, totally appealed to parents and kids. Dirty Lemon is just very, you know, elegant type of, you know, packaging and branding. Yeah, I've always, um, you know, it's funny is my, my dad was a pharmacist. I, I, um, you know, I never had any formal training in design, but I remember specifically going to the grocery store with my dad um, very frequently and we would spend a long time in the grocery store. Um, so much so that my mom would like make uh make note of it. Like, Oh, if you guys are going to the store, you won't be back for a couple hours. Um, <laughs> and we would always leave the store with the weirdest food items. So like, I'm sure you remember when like the peanut butter and jelly, like, uh, when they, when they launched peanut butter and jelly in one jar together, yep, I remember like, that. We, like we definitely walked out with that. And, you know, <laughs> instead of Tropicana juice, like my dad always wanted to buy five alive, which is a, which was a, you know, an, uh, like a orange juice alternative. And, you know, we were always, there was always this, um, you know, he always had this, this kind of attraction to, um, these, you know, different design products. And, you know, I've always been really fascinated by brands and, and I think, you know, it, and I've been artistic and creative and, you know, I did a lot of design work. So I have an understanding of just, you know, how visual appeal of a product connects with, you know, consumer demand. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, I think design is, is a, is a massive part of, of, of creating demand for a product. And, um, you know, we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time on the brands that we've created. So it's, uh, it's good. It's good to hear that it's, that it's, that it's noticed, noticed as that. So. So what was it like being on uh, mad money with Jim Kramer? Jim's such a great guy. Very, uh, very, <laughs> I remember, I, I told Jim this when we were off the air, but I remember when I was starting Little Duck, 
I was in my basement and I used to watch Mad Money every week uh, mm-hmm. or every, every night rather. So I think they did an 11 o'clock uh, repeat of the, the earlier part of the day. And I remember I would just have it on there and I was packing boxes and doing all this stuff as I was launching my first company. And um, it was just really an honor to, to, be in, to be there with him talking about what we're building now, um, especially after, after having uh, you know, that experience kind of watching his show. And um, yeah, he was a, gr- a really great guy and um, you know, definitely uh, a, a great validation point for our efforts. That's awesome. Well, Zach, thanks so much for taking the time to, to walk us through your background and obviously all the, the great things you've been building throughout the years and uh, the things to come. It's exciting. Yeah, thank you very much again. And um, yeah, speak soon. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFiz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.